on ecumenical matter. Hello and welcome to Ecumenical Matters, the Father Ted podcast. Uh, I'm here with a nice crowded room today. I've got uh, two new guests and we have Vince as we always have. Say hello Vince. No. Don't say hello Vince. <laughs> uh, we've got uh, two new guests. We've got uh, Christian here beside me. Uh, Christian's an actor and musician. So uh, tell us a wee bit about what you've been getting up to. Well, I'm, I'm an actor in the local scene and a musician in the local scene. Uh, the last thing I did was um, with a production company called Bigger Than Us Productions. We did the Army Project. It was a fantastic play. Um, so I've just been keeping busy doing things like that and playing when I can. So. Ah, brilliant. Uh, and I'm also here with Glenn, uh, Glenn Hamill. And, uh, sorry, Christian Jackson was was your name, your full name, and Glenn <laughs> Hamill uh, over there in the far side. So what are you up to, Glenn? Yo, Macanespi, yo! Uh, I'm Glenn Hamill. I am a local actor as well. And I'm currently doing three plays in a profiture with all new writing. They probably come into places like the Crescent Arts Centre and a couple of the other kind of venues. But the, yeah, I will be coming to bring them and hype them on your podcast in the future. Fantastic. All new stuff. One of them's written by uh, Connor McGuire. Ah, oh, yes, okay, yeah. You know who did the kind of uh, Ulster Scots kind of version of Hamlet? It's like about a struggling young playwright. Desperate to get arts council funding, he uh, ends up doing a Shakespeare play, right. and he does the whole thing in Ulster Scots. Oh, and right, it's right. a comedy about him and his bunch of struggling actors trying to get that made. And there's a play within a play and all. Oh, very good. Yeah. It draws from life. Life imitates art. It is. Yeah. What I'm playing, I imagine the kind of Ulster Scots Ian Paisley's character, who's like the head of this cabal who are trying to promote their culture through this play well i'm here james as always and vince uh, in the background we have the Tyrone versus Derry match Tyrone just absolutely destroyed Derry in the first round of the ulster championship so i'm very it happy with hard. that but we've been watching the latest episode of father ted and we're actually very pleased to announce that our episodes have gone live this week actually just this morning every uh, sunday at half 11 or around that time depending Yay. on what uh, my hangover is like <laughs> <laughs> we'll be uh, we'll be launching uh, the newest episodes so we've had the first three episodes are now up and running Good Luck Father Ted, The Passion Centibulous, and uh, Entertaining Father Stone are now live. If you just go to our Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash ecumenicalmatters, you'll be able to keep up to date with what we're doing. Uh, so this week we watched uh, Season 1, Episode 5, and God Created Women. Now, this is not one of the ones that I remember fondly, or, well, I'll, I'll, I'll rephrase that. It's not one of the ones that I remember as well as the other ones. It's not as memorable as, say, Father Stone, or as memorable as uh, Careful Now, uh, down that like, sort of thing. I remember the episode, but I couldn't remember what the hell it was about. I could remember like the characters and stuff <clears> from, but I didn't really remember the plot of it at all. Well, I I barely remembered anything. The only the only bit I truly remembered from just you know organically was nuns nuns reverse reverse. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I don't remember. And even then, I didn't know it was this episode. Yeah, yeah exactly. I never I never made that connection. Uh, but having said that, when I was mentioned that I was doing the Father Head podcast before we put the episodes live. Uh, and I was speaking to just random people and said, oh, I've only seen one episode. It seemed to be this episode that they'd seen, and then they hadn't watched any other ones. So maybe if this was the only one you'd watched, maybe it wasn't the greatest advert for what Father Ted was, would you Would you say? Mm, yeah. But uh, we'll, we'll get into it anyway. Um, so basically what happens is that uh, an author, uh, Polly Clark, has written a book, and Ted is a big fan of the author, and she decides to move the island. And Ted, uh, being, you know... Uh, outed as a heterosexual man, as we've we've done with the Bishop of Galway, uh, he's got uh, he's got obviously attraction to this woman, and it's obviously the dichotomy of him being a priest and he's supposed to remain celibate versus his uh, well his desires to you know want to follow his uh, follow his desires with this woman. Polly Clark was played by Gemma Craven. Now you mentioned her earlier there, Glenn. Was there something you want to bring up about Gemma Craven? Oh yeah, just I remember her actually from uh, Robin of Sherwood episode. Or I think, it, yeah, and this is, I haven't even looked at Wikipedia, but I think she played an enchantress called Lilith. Right, right. And for some reason the name stuck in my head. She was one of those people who got a lot of, like, you would have seen her on TV a hell of a lot back in the literally mid-80s onwards. Right. And a lot less so since. Well, I just, uh, I'd never heard her before. I didn't recognise her face or anything, uh, but I did go on, go on IMDb to see what she's up to. The the thing she said, they say she's most famous for is Pennies from Heaven. Which is oh yes, BBC. yeah. Do you know anything about? It? I've never heard of the show. That was a big thing back when I was probably way, way before your time. Like you were like a a, a, a dream in your daddy's eye. But yeah, that was a big, <laughs> big show. Like um, for a while, and I dimly remember her being in it. I think she played the kind of frigid wife character. Right. Okay. Um, she's known for playing that kind of frosty. So what kind of show was it then? Uh, a drama. It was a drama. Uh, I, I, I used to actually watch it and I can't remember what it was about, but it was a 
Well, like a costume drama or what? Or? Uh, an ongoing law, like it was a long drama. I can't remember, I don't think it was historical. It's the last role I can actually remember seeing her in is in this Father Ted one. Well, she's actually got an Olivier Award uh, for the Best Actress in a Musical in like this third uh, Olivier Award yeah. ceremony. So, I mean, it, it's continuing this uh, pattern they have of getting very, very well-decorated actors to play these parts. Uh, Bishop Brennan was a very well-decorated actor. He's got Olivier Awards as well. Yeah. Like, um, So th they were able to attract great actors even at this early stage of the show. So clearly they were aiming high. Yeah, and they were you know they were shooting for the stars and they were actually hitting a lot of targets. The other thing she's known for is being in the Hollyoaks Litter or Hollyoaks Sex Litter, whatever they call it. What maybe Ho Hollyoaks Litter. Hollyoaks Litter. I know. Well, because you watched a lot of uh, you know Jersey Shore and all that sort of stuff. No, Teresa watched. <laughs> I just happened to be in the room. Ted goes to the book signing, which I would assume is on the mainland. I can't imagine yeah. there's a book signing on the island. And it looked like yeah. he had a bit of a journey. Had to take the car. So he has true, a bit yes, of a journey. About him. You actually see him driving. You don't see him get a ferry, but you see him driving. And you yeah. see him get punched when he accidentally like yeah. smashes into someone when he's trying to get away yeah. from her. Which, uh, trivia note, actually the very first Father Ted scene ever filmed. That one was? Very first one ever done, ever committed to camera was uh, Ted, you know, rear-ending that car. And that oh. guy punched him in the face. Very interesting, yeah. right? Uh, that's not the one that w the one I would have thought would have been the first episode. Yeah. You would have thought they would have had it in the sound stages or something. Yeah. yeah. Must have been because they were shooting it outside or something. Probably, yeah, probably yeah. just the logistics. And it was very, very obviously very quickly shot because the camera was inside the car and it never yeah. moved from inside the car. And uh, the guy just came in and just clocked him, uh, <laughs> cold cocked him in the face. I would also explain maybe why the guy who punched him doesn't seem to recognise who he is, if you know what I mean? Because it's such a small island, everybody would know who, who Ted is. And whenever I watched it, I sort yeah. of thought, this yeah. guy doesn't seem to understand who. This is, a, this is a priest he's punching here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But what, what was good about it in that scene was whenever it had the close up of the lights changing, when it turned to the green light, you can see there's little bullet holes in the lights where somebody had obviously taken pot shots with an air rifle or something. Just shows, <laughs> shows mentality of the people living on the island, you know? Savagery. <laughs> I didn't actually notice that. Uh, yeah, so basically what, what happened is Ted went to the, the book signing, and as, as I said, he seems a bit starstruck by the author. Uh, but she seems to have misheard his name, and she keeps calling Ted Curly. Yeah, I think Father Curly. This whole episode, it just seems to have a big focus on awkward situations. Mm. I mean, the big thing is obviously she's getting his name wrong the whole way through. Uh, but even just the whole meeting at the book signing to him getting home, it's just awkward encounter after awkward encounter with her, and then again later with Dougal hiding behind the chair and stuff. Well, I did want to bring that up actually. The the awkward the awkward moments, the awkward silences, because obviously this is an extension of. Ted really does not like silences. Yeah. He really does not like them. We've seen it in Father Stone that anytime there's a silence, he feels some compulsion to fill a silence. So when they're on the on the lift and they've just left the same room, it's like they've already said their goodbyes, which has happened to everyone. Yeah, I mean you always get a situation where the, the double okay, goodbye. Yeah, see ya, see ya, and then you both start walking the same direction. And it's like, <laughs> okay, yeah, and yeah. yeah. I mean it happens, but Ted seems to get really really anxious about this, mm. like to to fist gnawing. Uh, Portions that it's dragged out to hell. What it is apparently, um, just from um, I dimly recall DVD commentaries, right? What they were saying was apparently this happened to one of them or both of them at the BBC. Right. Do you meet someone like some exec uh, or, or a writer or like a whole bunch of people and you do the whole big leave and it's perfect? And then they met them in the elevator, in the canteen, <laughs> in the yeah. car park, and then so they the used this in the show, this kind of awkward. But it, it, the awkwardness isn't just from that, though. It's also from this burgeoning sexual tension. Because mm -hmm. we know Ted is a deeply repressed guy. Well... Like, you know, he's barely contained by this sort of shoddy Catholic mask he wears. And it just starts to grow in him. And grow in him. It's probably even there embryonically. Like, why is he reading romance novels? I don't suppose you'll sign a copy of the latest. I'd be delighted. <laughs> um, Father Ted... Cr no, um, just Ted Crilly. Don't Don't bother about the father, actually. <laughs> He's yeah, genuinely yeah. at that book signing. He's not faking it. That's what I was A fan thinking. of her book. The, was it Bejeweled with Kisses, is it? I was about to yeah. say that the yeah. title of Bejeweled with Kisses. So it is sort of a Maeve Binchy sort of... Um, sort of a, yeah. a pre... Circle of Friends sort a, of... A pre Fifty Shades of Grey type idea. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> These sort of innocent love stories between, you know... Uh, and there, there is of course there is of course the, the sort of the god is in the background all the time so he's always checking in with god every now and then you know yeah. where when he comes what's into his house on? and he sees you there he's like you know what, what's going on and then whenever he, she invites him around to her house and he says okay and then he turns around to the, the image of Jesus he's like it's only every drink you know yeah. <laughs> see him sort of torn between the two there you know where he's like apologising to that it's like a bedspread or something or like a yeah. it's something with it's like, a throw or something yeah yeah, yeah. with Jesus' face on it yeah, yeah. he's talking to it kind of <laughs> enough the, the, the title of the episode is taken from a Bridget Bardot movie 
Well, the one that launched her sex kitten career, her as a young woman seducing multiple suitors. Right. And she's like a symbol of female temptation. So they're clearly playing on that with Ted's female temptation here. <laughs> I thought it was just uh, a play on, on God Created Man, you know, the biblical quote. So it's actually from a Bridge Bardo film as well. Yeah, yeah. Right, okay. And obviously the, the temptress is the author. Yeah. And yeah, so obviously Ted is, is very attractive to this woman. They, they seem to hit off and there's always there's always that sort of feeling that he can't he can't act on it because, as mm-hmm. I said, he's dedicated his life to celibacy. What do you always know about the, the priesthood's uh, celibacy? Anything? No. Uh, well, obviously, you know, I'm from that. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, you know. You're, he's from the other side. Well, uh, yeah, I'm a red, I'm a red squad, week, so wouldn't, uh, our three guests this week are dirty, <laughs> dirty Protestants or priests are dirty <laughs> Protestants. So, uh, well. Well, it's always been something that I've seen in, I've, I've heard talked about and things like that, but yeah, it, it, it seems like a bit of a drag, to be honest with you, like, but um, yeah, so I don't really, the sort of celibacy, the Catholic priest celibacy thing is something I've always seen uh, that's sort of part of the religion, but I've never really understood sort of what it means or what it's about or even how you could possibly do it. How could you possibly go your whole life? As, as completely celibate. It, You're married to Christ, is that that's the idea? I think so, I, I don't... I don't know what the nuns would be more married. They'd be the brides of Christ, wouldn't they? It'd be more. That's yeah. That's that's yeah, true. Yeah, so. that's definitely uh, the symbolism of the nun is the bride of Christ. But the the celibate priest thing now it actually comes from a much more cynical uh, reason. Basically, it was about twelve hundred or something. The Vatican was realizing that whenever a priest died, that that house they purchased was going to the priest's wife when the priest died. So mm. uh, basically, uh, they were bequeathing it to their their wife and their spouse and their children. So what they said to get around that was to say, right, priests can now long, longer get married, and therefore if the priest dies, that, that property remains with us. So basically it was just a, a major land grab uh, so by the Catholic to Church. tie into the sort of the New Testament idea of the woman knowing her place and all that sort of thing, not owning property? And I, I, don't know if, I don't know if they used that as justification. I think it was just that, um, you know, it, was, it came down to money, basically. Mm. Uh, if, they, if they were able to maintain <clears throat> land for, you know, countless generations mm. uh you know obviously it's going to increase in value it's going to they're going to, somebody's going to have to pay rent on that land to them to the vatican you know it's um it, the vatican throughout history throughout medieval history and stuff is basically adopting the imperialist model of how to run an empire basically it was just an empire just not not along border lines mm. it was just along you know which club are you basically <laughs> and religion as far as i can see anyway the religion has followed that pattern or organized religion has followed that pattern you know, depending on what part of the yeah, world. Yeah, the, the whole structure kind of came. It's it's an echo of the Western Roman Empire. It was also part as well to restore like prestige. If the priest just had a family and was a normal member of the community, what they found was it it lost that kind of shamanic aura. Not what they would have called it, but he lost that kind of wise holy man who's separate somehow from holding the flock. Holding out, literally, yeah. Holding it out. So this was a way of restoring that as well. That uh, this this is a example of, of you know a, a virtuous person who doesn't yeah. give yeah. into the, the the demons of lust. It's it's unearthly. Mm. It, it's slightly detached from everyday life. It's spiritual. You know. It's and it is actually paradoxically what um uh, the character of Polly is drawn to in Ted. Like he gets his wires crossed, bless him, and thinks that she is interested in him because he wants what she has. He wants the glamour and the outside world prestige, yeah. and like he he wants these nights with wine and romance. But yeah. she's drawn to what she thinks he has, spiritual serenity. I envy you, really, Father. You must have great peace of mind being a priest. That's what I'd love, a feeling of serenity. Oh, I have serenity coming out of my years. <laughs> Too much serenity, really. <laughs> Bit of excitement that suit me down to the ground. Yeah, yes. that withdrawal from life. Yes, the nuns, yeah. on, so the yeah. wires are completely crossed. Though Looking at it, it's actually pretty obvious from the start. But if they do it in such a way that you, like, you do kind of see it from Ted's point of view and think, is this on? Yeah, well, yeah, it's quite cleverly done. Like, when he opened the door, uh, when he came around to her house, and she was wearing this you know, lovely uh, evening dress. Yeah, red, like a tempest in it. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And I was thinking, is she really dressed with the nines? Cause I, I Just really for a housewarming? Yeah. But well, I, I forgot the, the twist that she was going to, that she was going to dedicate her life to the, to the nunnery. Like, you can sort of see where Ted was coming from, especially from... Yeah. Uh, the, the perspective of a, a frustrated man like I think what it is is that she just thinks he's so above that like yeah. she has no idea that he's a sexual being at all she sees him as that spiritual detached like the celibacy kind of PR has worked in her yes so she really doesn't think that he sees that at all 
Yeah, and again, it's another strength of the show as well. The show that Ted is actually just a man with man with man's urges. And, yeah, you know, he he is a kind of a shaman figure on the island. But yet, the, one of the strengths of the show is showing that he's just this goofy man. This is just, he's actually one of the most vulnerable people on the island. You know, even though he's supposed to be the pinnacle of all wisdom on the island, yeah. but, but he's there imprisoned in this big tomb of a house with a, a moron and a wild animal, basically. You know? yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, and it's all to do with past indiscretions. You know, so and and you speak about Ted being a man a man's uh, needs and desires. <laughs> And when he walks around with, you know, with a book over his over his nether regions, oh yeah, to, oh, to yeah. Get away from I, I did quite enjoy that scene because <laughs> it just hit exactly on the head, as you said. Um, he's got these urges and stuff, and we always say it every week. They're all three very flawed individuals who are in the priesthood. That really did it with Ted, just to see him walking around trying to cover his groin. Yeah, the entire time, even like he goes to stand up and he kind of notices, oh, it's still there. We think he was pitching a tent, do you? Yeah, oh yeah, 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 oh yeah. No, he, he definitely was. He could, probably could have walked around with that book, just flopped over it. Yeah, probably. Just yeah. would have held it upright. No hands. Hanging at all from him. Yeah. <laughs> See, one of the writers consider this quite a sad episode because they reckon that Ted and Polly would have actually made a great couple. Probably, yeah. They did seem to hit it off very yeah. naturally. Like, and it, it does seem like a good match for Ted under other circumstances. Like, as I said, like the, the two of them seem to have some sort of connection. The first time I ever saw Father Ted was this episode. And uh, when was that? Was that uh, I was in the Rock Bottom one? Bar in Belfast, the Rock Bar, the uh, basement of Robinson's way back in the day. And I was actually watching it like with just the subtitles on. It right. was on the, the, the bar TV. Mm. So this must have been very recent then, was it? Oh, it's 97. I was t- okay, t- right. two years late to the party, isn't it? Recent for then, 1997. 1997, <laughs> yes. Like, uh, like Father Ted had been on for two years. I had not checked it out yet. Heard of it, confused it a wee bit with the Vicar Dibley, never checked it out. And I came on the bar TV and the sound was off. And I was just watching the subs and I still laughed. That's how like effective it is. Like I got, mm. you know the scene with this priest trying to get away from her? Yeah. And I remember laughing at the, what's going on? And it worked with Subzone. So right. it is effective. And uh, it's like you were asking earlier, is this a good way of getting into the show? For me it was, yeah. So for you, it worked yeah. completely for you. And yeah. you didn't even watch it in its full, in its full like, presentation. You only seen it in sort of... Uh, Sadness, yeah. yeah. And of course the influence that the show has had as well. I mean, it, it, there's probably no evidence for it, but it appears that the show has, has, has had a big influence on things like The Office and things like that. Of course, there's in this particular episode, there's obviously the Dostoevsky conversation, which they have in the, in the first episode of The Office as well. There's, there's kind of a, a you know... Trying to show that you know, you know the way he's laying the books out and stuff like that. Like that's another thing that men do. They they lay they leave books out so that people look at them, glance down at them, and go, top, yeah. oh, "This is something. This, this guy's more depth than I thought he had." You know. Well, you bring, you bring up Dostoevsky. 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 Why do people fake reading books like that? Like Ted does it, and it's it's sort of this thing that people but feel like they need to do. It's mm-hmm. not even just books. It's all forms of media. People do it with everything. Do it with films, TV, yeah. everything. It's just well, it's to elevate yourself above the station that you're at. I think you know, is to make people think you're more interesting than you actually are. Yeah. You know? But it's it's more like from some. If somebody says to me that they haven't watched a show that I've watched or read a book that I've read, I will try and tell them why they should, and we'll have a conversation about that. Mm-hmm. Whereas if they say they have read it, and they haven't, this is a one way conversation, and then it, mm. it just fucking dries up into into it's dust. Very like, hard. Yeah. To you know, and the yeah. show catches that. With That's what I was going to say. You know, did you feel his commitment waver towards the end? Talking about crime and punishment. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where? Oh, somewhere the, near the end. Yeah. What was it? After the crime, there was too much of a focus on the punishment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But that's the kind of conversation you have. Like, even if, say if you talk to somebody about music and you name a band, typically people go, oh, yeah, I've heard of them, but I've never heard them. Well, yeah. or, or the people that go I, I just listen to anything yeah <laughs> and then when, when they say anything I go well like what kind of things because like I would listen to anything you know I would literally jump from madness and then listen to a bit of Will Smith you know I'll take big leaps in my taste of music so when I say anything it means anything but yeah. then you always get the person who goes I'll listen to anything as long as it has a good beat it's like what does that even fucking mean yeah. <laughs> but, well usually when people say I'll listen to anything they mean anything within the top 40 yeah mm, exactly uh, anything that's most so within pop- my reach yeah, yeah. I can understand <laughs> Applies to the most common denominator. Yeah. Well, have any of you read Dostoevsky? I haven't. Or any of the books? Oh, yeah, I was going to yeah, say, I would imagine yeah, you yeah. the one. Have you read it? No, I have not. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I have read it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what, what ones were there again? There was Rocky Joy. Some of my crime, some of my punishment. Yeah. 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 There was Tolstoy in there, and as I say, Roddy Doyle makes a second appearance because he has our, the commitments, has already been mentioned on the show. Uh, Dougal thought that The Passion of St. Tibulus might be the next commitment, so uh, Ted is the book, but <laughs> whether or not he's read it is, uh, is another question. 
Uh, so what, what, what did you think of uh, Crime and Punishment then? Like he's really well thought of. Like the name is synonymous with being literate, and I think he's really overrated. Well, he was a pioneer of the psychological novel. Maybe uh, the reason why the character Polly would like Dostoevsky is because he's a, a psychological pioneer. But to me, reading it now, twenty first century eyes, it's very artificial. It's it's like everyone is at a fever pitch of nerves, and everyone's very highly strung. And nobody can have a conversation with bursting into tears. We a bit like Chekhov, if you've ever read Chekhov. I hate Chekhov. Well, it's it's it. kind of like that. They're very similar. They're writing in similar kind of like... They're coming from a kind of similar place. Well, I, put them the same, right, but I put them in the same bracket along with uh, Tolstoy and, and that sort of thing. Like, yeah. I haven't read Tolstoy or Dostoevsky, but I've seen a couple of Chekhov plays. And as an actor, you're supposed to fucking love Chekhov. I fucking hate Chekhov. It's so yeah. fucking self-indulgent yeah. and whingy and fucking... Oh, is that one of them things where like you're not considered a real actor if you don't like this? Thing or something. Again, it's one of these status things, you know. I mean, it, it is one of those plays that you're supposed to. One of those Chekhov is one of those writers you're supposed to know about. If you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> to say a classic novel is one that everyone talks about but nobody's ever read. You know, it's true. Like you know. Well, yeah. I've read I've read Animal Farm, and Animal Farm is an enjoyable read. Do you know what I mean? Animal yeah. Farm is actually, you know, it entertains you while you're while it's actually informing you of this different worldview. Crime and Punishment is about this guy, guy Raskolnikov, who commits a murder to prove he's a kind of proto Nietzschean Ubermensch who's above morality, and he does it, but he can't shake off his conscience. So there's a there's a rough parallel to Ted in the episode, like it's about a guy who's tormented by his conscience. He really wants to be this remorseless killer, but all of it's in his head when he just churns with the fact that he's killed someone until he eventually just you know it kind of blurts blurts it all out. Yeah, towards the end it does actually feel like you suddenly got all these chapters of him getting sent off to Siberia, you know, for punishment for the crime, and turn into Jesus, and it's just horrible. Did you feel his sense of commitment wane towards the end? When uh, Polly says that, she's kind of spot on. Uh, he just, Ted just seems to see it all as a, you know, as, a, as a, a hindrance to his manhood, if you know what I mean. I mean, all the way through, Father Ted, you always see him. He's always really annoyed about having to do mass. He's always really annoyed about having to do penance yeah. or whatever, giving people penance or whatever. Mm. You know, the whole thing is just a big inconvenience to him. You know, he is mm. a man who just wants to be a man in the 20th century as it was then. You know, he just wants to be, to, to, to live by his instincts and live by his urges, you know, but he's not allowed to, you know, because he's a man in this, essentially a pleasure paradise because he's basically, he is in a paradise, you know, surrounded by all the things that a priest could want, if you know what I mean, but yet he's utterly unsatisfied yeah. because he just wants to be an ordinary man, you know? Yeah, just as Polly's dissatisfied with everything he wants. Yeah. You know, glamour, city life, money, you know. Uh, uh, what's quite cool, though, is um, something you touched on. Uh, it does line up with what the writers have said, was that they didn't want to show Ted and Dougal working much because they hate their work. Mm. And it's very yeah. much a behind-the-scenes with priests. Yeah. So, and they didn't want to... They're, they're really against doing conventional sitcom stuff. So anything that sounded too conventional was rejected from their ideas pile. There's not yeah. humour with wine going missing. There's not, you know, Ted flubbing a mass. There's not that kind of stuff. Everything is backstage. It's Everything all is... suppression. This is what it's about. Yeah. Mrs. Doyle, for example, in this episode, you know, she, she starts swearing and she goes into this mad Tourette's kind of episode. Yeah. Yes, yes. You know, because it's, you can tell she's such a, a, a woman who's suppressed herself so much that she, this is the only chance she's going to get to swear. It's probably the only time she's sworn in 30 years, you know. Yeah. And she just goes, she just goes mad and Father Ted actually has to usher her out of the room because she's just into this mad sort of spiral swearing spiral you know and of course the f word father <laughs> bad f word worse than feck you know the one i mean yes i do mrs doyle f you f your f and y oh i don't know why they have to use language like that i stick this f and pitchfork up your hole oh that was another one oh yes I see what you mean, Mrs. Dawn. Bastard this and bastard that. You can't move for the bastards in her novels. It's war to all bastards. Is it, Mrs. Dawn? Anyway. You fecker, you bollocks. Get your bollocks out of my face. I'm just Yes, you, you just go and prepare for the nuns. Ride me sideways was another one. But the bad F word. It exists yeah. in this universe. Yeah, yeah. it does. And if you left your effing wife. Yeah. <laughs> and Mrs. Doyle, clearly, uh, she puts on this veneer that she doesn't like all this offensive stuff but she still indulges so much of it like the prototypical daily mail reader it's like oh, look at that woman with her bikini isn't that an absolute disgrace look mm. you can nearly see the crack of her bum mm -hmm. i should not be able to see that look at that picture as well sure you can see the cleavage on the picture and see this one she's just blatantly showing that man right beside her that she's got a body on her that's disgusting i can't believe i have to look at this 
<laughs> that is the fucking... More research is needed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> These ones that want to put on this fucking face of, mm. I'm so offended by this, but yet yeah. can't stop looking yeah. at it. Yeah. I mean, fucking hate that mentality. Yeah, essentially supporting the thing they're against. Maybe <laughs> doth protest too much, of course. You know, yes, is, yeah. uh, you know, you want to do it so much, you, you will condemn those who are doing it because you can't do it, you know. Because oh, yeah. you would never have the, the nerve, to, you would never have the, the courage to say that, you know. Yeah. Because you want to fit into the social zeitgeist, so you, you mm. would never have the courage to step outside of that, you know. So so people, but I reckon, yeah. I actually reckon Mrs. Doyle would scrub up pretty well, to be honest. You know? Well, yeah, probably. She's not, she, uh, Father Ted actually says in this episode, she's not conventionally attractive then, Dougal. That's what you're trying to say. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, no, she's <laughs> not. But as, as an actress, the lady who plays her actually really is right up my street as far as women are concerned. Like, I think she's really attractive. Yeah, she was in EastEnders yeah. not that long ago. Yeah. But yeah. a blow dry and a bit of a wax on the chin, you so know, and some shoes. decent clothes. Mrs. Doyle Mrs. would scrub Doyle up pretty Mrs. well. You know? Would you? Would you? Would you? Of course. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, incidentally, uh, that line where she goes, take me sideways, was another. Do you know as Ted finally just shoves out the door? She yeah. improvised that? Uh, yeah, I just saw oh, that on the right, trailer yeah. before, before we got on the mic there. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, the, the, a lot of the stuff, a lot of that diatribe was just Pauline McLean improving uh, and right. ad those lines. Uh, so Such a talent, like. She, yeah, she, yeah, she clearly actually went to town with it and apparently uh, Dermot Morgan had actually stifled laughter when she said ride me sideways that's another one yeah. <laughs> Which her I, performance I has know. always been recognised as one of the high points of the show like she really was one of the shining stars of the show like, she, she is great exactly oh, all of them are you know um, all, all, all the other characters in it I mean they are great you know Mrs Doyle Dougal Father Jack they are perfect but they're all panto characters Mm. And they're all, you know, large in life, brilliantly done. Now, mm. don't mean that as an insult. I mean that, and like they are brilliantly done, massive Dickensian characters. And mm. but Ted is the character who's not, and he can't be because the show is anchored around him. In the same way that Fraser Crane can't be a big character like you know some of the guest stars are. But what they do with Ted that's so clever though is that he's got one foot in reality, mm. and that guy's such a talented actor that he can keep it real in the midst of all this panto. That's why that show is not a low low. And in this yeah. episode, you kind of see that. You're right, it's not the best Ted episode, it's not the most funny one, but you see the reality he brings. You do really feel the awkwardness. David Brent, kind of, yeah, embryonic David Brent. The cringe, cringe comedy. factor, yeah. yeah. Which is why and I think it's a big feel, influence on the character of David Brent, yeah, because I, there, I think there is you could be right, actually, yeah. 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 And you do feel the genuine sexual tension. And you do feel between him and Gemma Craven, if they wanted to, just with the slightest little adjustment, they could have turned that into a drama. Yeah, yeah. there is still a lot of pathos on, on the, there on the is, show. Yeah. Yeah. They never go that, they never go down that route, but they, it's there. You know, only fools and horses would. The Father Ted show never did. Maybe if you know the show had lasted longer, it might have started. Uh, I, don't, I don't think they wanted to go down that road. To be honest, I think I think they just wanted to be comedy. They uh, do avoid that. Yeah, but it's there because of his talent. You know, it's always kind of there. I think uh, yeah, definitely. Darren Morgan's performance overall uh, is is absolutely brilliant. As you say, he is the straight man. Mm, which yeah. usually means he's people's least favourite, but that's not the case in mm. Father Ted. Yeah. Everyone loves Ted Crilly as a character. He's yeah. the most um, relatable character. Yeah. Um, usually when it's the, when the straight man, when the, the audience uh, surrogate character is usually the least interesting one, whereas with Ted it's not, because you talk, you talk about Father Ted, people will still quote you, oh, it's just resting my account, or you know, they'll, yeah. they'll quote Ted stories and Ted lines. He's, he's just as an equivalent as the Panto characters, even though he is the more realistic one, even though he is the most grounded one, credit to both the writing and, as you say, the performance Definitely. of it. Just imagine the show if he'd hammed it up the wrong way, to the way a lesser actor would have. Mm. You know, if he just if he'd played it like it was a joke, that show would have been one of those horrible. Yeah. Not that I don't I don't it'd think be they would have grating. I think too. It would be yeah. There'd be too much like the wackiness. Going with the sort of stupid humour aspect of it whenever Ted's making up an excuse about why he can't do mass that night and you're saying about the straight man sort of side of things he's like genuinely trying to go up with this excuse and he's acting it very straight whereas mm. Dougal's being very childish and very immature throughout the whole thing and you know he, he spots the other priest coming who he's now just not the other priest the other the doctor he's, he said he's deaf and Dougal's like looking at the window all smiles like yeah. shouting over to him he's like oh you heard that Ted you know and, Ted the whole time is just being deadly serious just trying to think of a new excuse yeah. and it all plays in yeah. quite well with the 
as you said, the stupid, uh, not the stupid, but yeah, just the the pantomime kind of characters, the larger than life characters the around him in that scene. That is and he's very straight. That is a great contrast, and it really works. It's like Dougal yeah. is in, like Dougal's in a low low. Ah, Ted, here he is. Ah. Yeah. And Ted's giving us the Brent awkwardness, and the two coming together really works. Yeah. And like Dougal is really like James, though. Uh, like, like, you know, when you, I know you've played him on stage as well. Yeah. <laughs> like, you remind me of him so much. I could see him doing that. That was my nickname in you university. Know, was it? Dougal. <laughs> yeah. Not surprised. I thought it was because of my accent, uh, because I was in university in London and I was on a rugby team. I thought, like, basically the first training session, uh, I had the ball and somebody goes, what's his name, what's his name? And somebody just goes, just call him Dougal. <laughs> so, so they shouted to Dougal and I instinctively looked around and passed the ball. <laughs> and that, that obviously stuck then. Marked your own card there. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, probably actually. Uh, mm. But... Um, Dougal became your name. Do, but I didn't realise, a lot of people think I look like him, which I don't see, but I'm not necessarily... You do look like him, yeah. Uh, I think it's just yeah. the goofy look. Well, yeah. The, well, it's, then that, it's that blank-eyed expression. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the glazed face, I think, is the idea. Yeah. Yeah. Glazed eyes and the uh, empty face. Yeah, that's yeah. probably why. Uh, yeah. I love it when he innocently destroys Ted. You know, every time like, he's yeah. devastating him when he has yeah. no idea what he's doing. Yeah. 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 That whole scene is just a perfect example of it. It's like yeah. everything Ted says... Dougal's now got an answer for by accident. Yeah, Dr. Sinnott walks by and on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I wanted to bring that scene up, actually, because I think that was actually one of the weaker moments of really? what we've seen so far. And that, now I will I will quantify that, um, Fatherhead, as you said, has tried to avoid the sitcom cliches. That whole scene, I think, was absolute sitcom cliche. Now, you could say that they were taking the piss out of it well, by taking it so much further than... That's what I was going to say, because they really sort of exaggerated it. Well, it that, seemed that, really exaggerated for... That'd be in a sitcom moment. So they, they, they sort of exaggerated and just sort of blew it out of all proportions. Seems that way, because it's just, they were just, everything was just so convenient. The people he's talking about, one's outside, the mm. other one's just casually coming up. You know, mm. it's, it was just so exaggerated in terms of the sitcom. Like, well, it's Jim. Hey, Jim! And you yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, so basically, Ted is trying to get out, as you say, of saying mass because it's going to clash with his date with the author. And uh, it's, it's like, I used to hear it when I was a, when I was a kid watching like sitcoms, and it was like, why don't you just tell the truth and yeah. everything will be over so much quicker instead of just keep digging down with these fucking lies that are never going right. to I, yeah. but that's... see fruition. It was like, you know, in Scooby-Doo when Shaggy doesn't want to tell people that he's actually scared of going into the, the creepy bunker. It's like, why don't you just say you're scared instead mm. of like making up all these excuses? It'd make everything so much easier for you. Like It's the human condition, James. But, the human condition. But I sort of thought yeah. that that was part of it. That, that, that again showed the genius of the writing because I thought that, that the fact that they were making those really obvious jokes was the joke, if you know what I mean. Like, we're yeah. making jokes here where, where sitcom, we're making obvious sitcom jokes. That was kind of the joke. It was a, kind of like an, an ironic humour in a sense that you know, they were making these obvious sitcom jokes yeah. and that was the joke. You're right. And you even that, like, I think that's kind of... In my opinion, what they were going for in that, in that yeah. section. Ricky Gervais would later build a career on just that awkwardness. Yeah, it's one ingredient of Father Ted, but he would take that and use it to great. You know, the office. Use it in the office. Extras. extras, yeah, yeah. Extras but, was guilty of that. I think in a sense that it did do a lot of stupid stuff, like David Bowie, for example, turning around and just having yeah. the piano sitting, like the, the stuff like that. There was obvious yeah. humour in that, and I don't think Extras really captured it the way this episode of Father Ted did because they made, it, in my opinion, made a joke out of the fact just, that we are. Oh look, we're a sitcom. You know, we're making just sitcom jokes. But the, but the office was, was completely suppressed. It was all suppression was the idea of the office. I think, yeah. You know? yeah. And I think social awkwardness. What makes that scene good as well is the fact that in a lot of sitcoms and stuff, they would go for the whole awkwardness of I was making these excuses and they would get away with it. Whereas in this, he didn't even. He just had to go and do the mass anyway. And mm-hmm. instead, he just decided to rush for it. And I think that played into the awkwardness of the joke and just the stupidity of the joke as well in the situation and taking the piss out of sitcoms. Yeah. Well, uh, we'll go back to the mass in a second. I do just want to bring up the fact that I've been sort of noting the different types of humour that Father's Head actually actually ticks off. Mm. Uh, we've had gross-out humour last last week with uh, the earwax forming candles and stuff. You know, we've had all sorts of like just clownish humour. You've sort of about the subtle humour of the whiteboard uh, gags and stuff. And yeah, just like um, magazine names and stuff. Yeah, like and uh, Halo, Halo magazine and, you know, the, yeah. the surreal humour. <laughs> and here we have cringe comedy. Like, the amount of, the amount of like, comedy types of comedy that, that Father Ted actually hit on and just, just sort of hit on it and then just disappeared from it from yeah. mm-hmm. uh, you know from, from view like, like they, they were brilliant like they could do they could do it all and so they, could, they could just do something and just throw it away you know exactly yeah, so yeah. it was just showing how good they were and, uh, the writing was so good it's something I loved about the X-Files is that they could they could uh, take a whole genre of either sci-fi or horror films or something and just do one episode with it and then just mm-hmm. never touch it again all right, listen, Dougal, I'm going to have to go straight after this. You'll have to look after the nuns. Fair enough, Ted. 
What'll I do with them? Whatever you want. Just try not to kill them or anything. <laughs> <laughs> that, Ted. Remember Sister Janita? Oh, yeah. That was a bit too close for comfort, all right, yeah? Well, just be careful this time, Mark. Oh, God. Are they all in there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like peas in a pub, Ted. Pod. <laughs> right, let's go. See you later. Okay, good luck, Ted. Him, the two of them preparing for the mass now. I'll say this, Dougal and Ted are both preparing to say this Mass. I, I, I didn't pick up why this particular Mass was so important, do you think you just pick it up why? Not really, I think it's just... It's just because the nuns were there? Just and the nuns were there and right. they wanted to see the, them, I think. Of, yeah, part of the joke is that it's not particularly important. Yeah. It's, it's just, just that they're such that they're fangirls of Masses. The groupies. The groupies, the groupies yeah. 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 And with them like, signing the Mass cards or everything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and um, they, they kind of play on that and they play on that like they... They go around and have like different ratings for each of the priests. Yeah. <laughs> that we like, where'd you get your ideas from? Uh, the worst question to ask any creative person. No, but that. Where do you get your ideas from? Like, mm-hmm. It just comes. That yeah. brings it back to Ted's love of wanting to be like this uh, person who's not a priest. Like he feels like a celebrity when they're asking. You can see like he's actually genuinely happy to he's be getting, asked questions. Like as he's being it. interviewed. Yeah. And it yeah. comes back to like his uh, his human nature, you know. Yeah. He wants he wants the attention. He wants he wants the bright yeah. lights. He yeah. wants the cocaine parties. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which is uh, why before the mass he goes through the whole. Come on, yes. Yeah, exactly. He psychs himself up and then he goes outside and goes home. The old and then comes back in again and so it's like over in five seconds. Apparently that was a deliberate tribute to Raging Bull. Yeah, yeah. up scene that was a deliberate homage. But not not just Ted in that scene. Dougal was actually very competent in that scene. I've never seen Dougal in such a position of competence before. Like he he knew that uh, yeah. right, he has to get Ted he has to get yeah. Ted uh, ready. Yeah. He has to Ted psyched up. He knows what he's he knows what he's mm. going to do. He knows what needs to be said. Yeah. He knows he has to uh, if Ted's going to leave, so he has to uh, you know take care of the nuns and stuff. And he just genuinely asks, so what what should I do with him or whatever? Yeah. Like, just don't kill them. Clearly, yeah. clearly, <laughs> seven, yeah. That's a big ask apparently. Well, that, that, I think that goes back to the Black Rock incident. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. They were just tragedy. Nun- yeah, they were just nuns. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but let's talk about the nuns then because the nuns was a very uh, a really great dynamic they had with the nuns uh, A, that was all the groupy sort of atmosphere that they had going which was uh, a great thing but then also that they, all, they had one spokesperson yeah. so they all had to sort of filter their answers through this one <laughs> uh, Sister Sumter was it? Oh you couldn't leave during the mass <laughs> It's just that you see um... Sister Julia says that you say a lovely mass she said that you said one of the nicest masses she ever heard <laughs> And Sister Concepta said that last year's Mass here was fabulous. She said she'd give it 10 out of 10 and she's very hard to please. She's seen you do, what is it, about 50 Masses since then? <laughs> Let's show Father Crilly the photographs, Teresa. You like these, Father? <laughs> oh, there's you saying the Mass here last year. And that's you saying the Mass the year before. <laughs> What's that? Oh, yes, that's your sister-in-law's funeral. That's my personal favourite. They did it oh, yeah, yeah. quite yeah. well, and then one of them seemed to be quite shy, so she wasn't really speaking up. And then another one was obviously deaf, I guess, because yeah, she was like yelling right in her ear beside her. She's so, yeah, she's yeah. Like 80-something. So almost like they gave them like, these different personalities just so they couldn't speak, and just that one could speak for them all. That's yeah. the way I took it anyway. Well, it was just a great dynamic they had, and just this little cabal of nuns that's... They were so fucking bitchy as well and so waspish uh, whenever Ted... Yeah, I'm also I'm busy now. <laughs> just I was going to say, she's, she's really... very petty at the end. The yeah. yeah, apparently they were really pleased with that, that she was quite sinister. I remember from the DVD commentary, they were play, like she's a, you could easily see, especially at the end there, you could see that character in one of those like Magdalene Laundry movies. Yeah, yeah. You like Again, with a slight nudge, she could be in that. She says, and they were so pleased with that that they have her back, you know, in a later episode. Oh, yeah. She does actually come back, yeah. yes. Uh, she comes back during the Lent episode. That's the and one, we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll take, talk about that. Uh, we'll talk about that later. But yeah, she she picked that part perfectly. And also that her waspish sort of bitchiness came out in Mrs. Doyle as well. Just the thought that uh, a woman was yeah. in the premises. Yeah. We had on last week of Doyle always wanting to sort of please people and stuff. And I guess she's probably looking at it as woman's coming in the house she can do things that Doyle obviously can't yeah. do for him yeah. well, maybe possibly Mrs. Yes. Mrs. Doyle yeah, is the possibly. only woman the only example of woman who they're ever going to get exactly. I mean, she's the only woman that they have in their lives and, and she likes and that will ever have in yeah. their lives so that, that's her element of control so whenever another woman steps in she loses that control she's, yeah. she's somebody's going straight onto yeah. her territory it's not even yeah. like they're sort of threatening it's literally just planted the flag right in yeah. the middle of her, of her exactly yeah doesn't she he has... go um, sure to her room and Mrs. Doyle like drags her off like it's to a dungeon it's still cool. Yeah. <laughs> I may as well be in that house. Yeah. It's such a 
dingy, miserable-looking house. So it may as well be a dungeon. Well, you say a, a dingy, miserable-looking house. The decor seems to have changed since the last episode. Did you notice that? Uh, the, the, the front door from the inside is now white. Was it always white? Uh, was it not? I thought like it was always white. It's I a, don't really pay that much attention to the doors. You're such a nerd, James. You're such a fanboy. Well, that's a point of the fact to pick holes in this otherwise brilliant show. Inner peanuts and shit podcast. It does look a lot cleaner, maybe. Yeah, the, the wallpaper seemed different. Wallpaper seemed different was, to me as well. Yeah. Like when the when when they first went into the house, I wasn't actually sure if they were supposed to be in the parochial house when Ted Ted walked in and the author's just sitting there, yeah. Holly's just sitting there. Yeah, yeah. I I was actually was like, is this a different set? Uh, is this a, like is Ted walked into a different room or something? Um, mm-hmm. Well, I, I wasn't sure if I was imagining it because I didn't like I didn't oh. look back on the older ones, but because we spoke about how they had to you know take that set down every day yeah. every time they shot and then build it up again. Yeah. So it's very possible maybe they just change it up for. And maybe they just had a, a budget injection so they could actually yeah. just get decent wallpaper and stuff. And uh, <laughs> I was noticing the wallpaper that is an eye for detail. <laughs> no, to be fair, when I was watching that something did seem off about the wall something seemed different about the look of the room mm. the wallpapers was the first thing I thought of but I didn't really pay that much attention to it to go like that's it That's it, 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 it might be something really subtle as in there might be an extra light or a set yeah, or something or that's just could be like better. pictures off the wall or something like yeah. that you could just explain that away as saying, you know, Father Jack in an episode, in, in between the last episode or the time we haven't seen as the audience, Father Jack projectile vomited all over the wallpaper and had <laughs> crashed his wheelchair through the front door, so I had to get a new front door. Was, yeah. Wasn't it trashed <laughs> by a certain uh, Henry Sellers? Uh, yeah, that's right, actually. They have yes. to yeah. after that, that's probably it, actually. That's probably it. I did, have to say. They just did a full screen clean after Henry had his, uh, yeah. had his way. Uh, Ted had a hipster phase when he had a beard. Oh, his beard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I love um, I do like that in the show if they make a reference to a photograph or something they always show you a close up of it yes yeah, they show you it in perfect detail so it's for, for, Chad has now had a hipster phase and he's also yeah. had a, a tranny phase when he went to the <laughs> trees and uh, cosplaying phase when he goes as Elvis so that. Yeah. <laughs> I do like, like a lot of shows they'll like make references to things and they'll never actually show you it whereas in this they just show you a glimpse of it and then it's like alright done well you could, you could say that that is the genesis of cutaway humour that, yeah. that, that family guy sort of took to town with um, they Probably do have little cutaways but it's nice in doses yes. whereas like Family tiny, Guy tiny doses abuses the shit of it Family Guy can't go two seconds without a cutaway whereas in yeah. Father Ted it, was, it would just be like, Dougal looking through a pile of binoculars and say it's a lovely day and then showing a hurricane outside exactly. like, that would be the, the extent of it it would be maybe three seconds yeah the once show. per episode yeah. or something and of course we have the, the classic line nuns nuns reverse 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 he doesn't like the nuns, does he, Jack? Nuns, nuns, reverse, reverse. Line of the show, can we all agree? I think that stood the test of time much better than anything else in the episode. That one line, like people do immediately whenever you whenever you say it, they appropriate it to Jack. For Seen me, it on t-shirts and all, or unofficial merchandise. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I do like that line, but in that episode, I still love the uh, the line when Dougal's out the window shouting to the doctor, and he goes, "I oh, heard that, Ted." That's my favorite line from that episode. When he just <laughs> just because he completely shuts him down. He ruins Ted's web of lies. But I do love that line from Jack. It is standard line from the show. It's one you always remember, and that's it's the only thing from this episode I remembered, but I didn't even realize it was this episode. Well, yeah, exactly. It's a, so again, it's one of those situations where the la- the one thing from the episode is more memorable than the episode. Yeah. Uh, you know, more important than the episode itself. I think mm. the episode is rather forgettable, would you say? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, because I always, whenever I think back to Father Ted, I always think of a few key moments, and one of them is always the book signing. And I always remember the book signing, but I can never remember it. So what, what was it about the book signing? That's just It's always it? just one thing that stuck out to me. Just always so Ted I, going for that book signing, and for some reason it's always stuck in my head. I've n- well, I'll, I'll rephrase this, because... I had a few episodes on, on VHS and they were just recorded from the TV yeah. and this wasn't one of them. Maybe that's colouring my sort mm-hmm. of perception of them. But like there's not much on this that you would take out of like No, you wouldn't take, take much out of the overall, like do you know what I mean? Um I don't like that book signing, I don't remember don't recall that. It's just one thing I always start you know, somebody's just latch on to something and it just sticks. Yeah. And you don't know why. It's one of those things. It's just that book signing for whatever reason, just him standing talking to her has always been in my head. Uh, just drop the father. You don't need to have, but just put Ted Crilly. Don't bother. Don't worry about the father. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Which again shows that you know maybe he He's made the wrong life. Himself from yeah. yeah, yeah. 
Uh, what sticks out to me is because well, it's the first episode I ever saw, so it got me into it. So I mm. see it from a different point of view. It's like mm. there definitely are better episodes, but it got me into the show with this with the sound off. So and it that's how. Back. Yeah. Wait, and did um, you purposely what, look next week for then the next episode? Did you or? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Right. That's, okay. that's when I started watching it from that because it was it was funny even with the sound off. You know. There was a few wee things. I did want to bring up uh, Jack's smuggling techniques. Uh, <laughs> he came out of a house party and he had an entire jacket inside the inside line of oh, his yeah. jacket. It was just filled with uh, <laughs> food everywhere. Who here hasn't tried that? We've all tried it, but his needs some work because he's a bit too obvious with it. So, uh, Polly says, do you ever think what it would like to be a 97-year-old nun? So I'm going to actually go around the root table and ask you what I think it would be like to be a 97-year-old nun. Yeah, yeah. Imagine, imagine dedicating your life from the fact you were 17 to your 97, 80 years of dedicating your life to, you know, Nothing. as I said, celibacy <laughs> and, you know, pious uh, lifestyle, you know. It's and, a great image of sterility, isn't it? You know, that, like the image of the 97-year-old nun, it's just this, of, 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 of an unlived life, I, like, yeah. that's what it seems to me anyway. I Unless think, you really believe in that well, stuff. I think it would be very tiring because you would have to, you know, like Ted, you have to keep up this appearance all the time. Well, you wouldn't because for the most part you'd be inside a convent. I was going to I was gonna actually bring up yeah, the sister act. On the, the first, time on the rare occasion that you do end up out, I mean, like, I'm sure you know yourself from Catholic schools and all that, you had to go to um, sit with all these priests and nuns for a day. Yeah. And yeah. it was dull as shit. I can't imagine it. It'd be, it'd be oh. like, a, like a prison sentence, I think. But That's remember, too terrible to contemplate. I can't imagine going to school like that. Absolutely <laughs> terrible. It was just for, it was one day every year they would take us. I don't know if your school did it, but was it, what, what kind of school did you go to? It was just uh, um, last all, it was like a, a Catholic school. But if you if you didn't play sport, you were hated. Well, for example, on Ash Wednesday, would they make you all get the ashes? Yeah, but then I'd immediately rub them off. Yeah, so so would I like. But for stars. Especially up, up around this part. Of, oh, you were living in Belfast. Like, I if you were walking around with fucking, like. uh, fucking ashes on your head, you were literally oh. creating a target on your head. I, for we read dot appeared. Uh, yeah, exactly. See, <laughs> where my house is, right at the edge where it was into a Protestant community from a Catholic community. So I'm like walking home and just as I hit like this crossroads, I'm like <laughs> wiping them off just well, before anybody sees me. And well, to be fair, you, you were in your Catholic school uniform, so they would have known anyway, I suppose. Well, yeah, that's a fair <laughs> point as well. Waiting. But... Uh, yeah, I mean, to be fair, like in our school, the whole thing was that you would claim people's uh, badges from their blazer, so nobody knew. Uh, what, what do you mean? So, so because uh, you had like the school ones are trying to rip it off you. No, no, just people in the school they just thought it was hilarious to claim that or your shirt pocket. Shirt pocket was yeah. one of the ones I had. Which, the other one was uh, like the, the ties, school ties. Yeah. Just fucking yanking it as, yanking. as hard as you can, so you can't actually loosen it. So it's, it's it's pretty much a permanent fixture then. Yeah. And all, all you can do is loosen enough to get it over your head, but you can't actually untie it at that point anymore. Never so experienced any of this Borstal horror. I have, to say, <laughs> I have to say, when I first came to Belfast, I was very naive. Like, I mean, I... I, I you still are, dude. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, um, but I saw people on Ash Wednesday walking around with the ash on their heads, and I didn't know what the hell was going on. Like, I mean, I walked right, past yeah. one person, and I kind of I kind of had to double take, and then I walked past another person, and was like, what's going on here? You know, everybody's walking around with these sock dots in their head. I didn't have a clue what was going on. <laughs> uh, and it was only in the last couple of years, well, uh, a couple of years after that, that I realised why they were doing it, you know? Yeah. So it just goes to show the cultural difference, like. Well, yeah, because I went to a Christian Brothers school, and there actually was Christian Brothers uh, residing in the mm. school, like living there. Mm. They, had a little, uh, they had a little house and stuff, like a sort of mini parochial house within the school grounds and stuff. And it, it, Yikes. My sister went to a convent, so there was nuns living in the convent well, as well. <laughs> There's actually um, a, a whole bunch of cultural things, somewhat like Christian was saying there about the ashes, that I wasn't exposed to and learned about. I, we did a play with James, setting up for Michael. Oh, yes. Which, yeah. check it out on Google, it's still, he's still got good reviews. It's great, great young writer from OMA, James Lagan Espy, yes. his name is. Uh, D- yeah. Difficult to work with, terrible heroin addict. <laughs> uh, terrible great, production great, great artist. There were a lot of stuff that were in this talented, blazing young Irish play, right? Uh, which was kind of was set in that background, set at a wake. I knew, uh, going into it as the incompetent stage manager, I knew nothing about what he was talking about. I didn't know what a camogie match was, I didn't know what wake cards were. I didn't even know that we still had wakes. I looked it up, going like, I'm going to prove to him that this is bullshit. And you know it still does happen in places like... Yeah, the, I had no idea. The like, three-day wake where yeah. you, you stay up with... Uh, people stay I, up with the body for the three yeah. days until the funeral, yeah. Yes. Uh, an awkward story about a wake from last year. My granddad died, 
Yeah. Um, we all went up to the wake, and the concept it, seems so alien. This is like Zoroastrian yeah. skybury. Protestant you know, leave them out for the birds. It Protestant just, funerals are very controlled, tight affairs, aren't they? Like you know, every, everybody's told to stand where they stand and yeah. do what they do. Yeah. And, and the body, I think we do do a kind of a wake thing. I don't know. Some people do do a wake. I don't know if it's just a kind of a wider cultural thing. I think I've heard of Protestants doing wakes and stuff, but. When my grandmother died, I can remember that when I was a kid, and this happened, I was only about 13 or something, and I can remember going there and, and feeling completely controlled, you know. The whole thing was stage managed almost, you know. Yeah. And whenever you got to her, her body in the open casket, she was just there in this kind of monolithic casket, you know, like a carsophagus, and there was her upper portion of her body, and there was my granny lying there, and it was just like, oh God, this is just totally unnatural, so, you know. Yeah, it's quite surreal. Yeah, so my, my granny died when I was about uh, 11, so... But yeah, that was the first experience I had of, uh, yeah. of seeing it. Somebody, somebody was saying once, I think it was about uh, like like Greek funerals and, and, and sort of these these cultures that are sort of so so alien to us, we can't understand them. The way they would have a body brought onto the shore from a boat and all this kind of thing, these rituals they go through, and the women would cry their eyes out and tear their clothes. Yeah, it would be just hair. like pure That's so much more healthy, release. you know, yeah. than, than the way we do funerals. It's, it's from six feet under, that show, six feet under, somebody mentioned that in it. It's a Protestant funerals are so highly controlled that, uh, I'm speaking from my own point of view, that this whole rending of the clothes and tearing of the hair, that's so much more natural and so much the, the way a morning, the way mourning should be done. More cathartic. You, know I mean? yeah. you still see it in the Middle East. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. that kind of wailing and screaming and all that sort of thing. It's undignified, Catholic. of course, but your death's undignified, isn't it? So, <laughs> Catholic science is quite weird because everybody just uses it as an excuse to go and get pissed. Like yeah. my dad, that, that, that day he started the whole three days. I and think the funerals first night. are like that by default. The both sides, <laughs> yeah. you know. Oh no, but like he's like sitting there. Uh, I think he, he just couldn't sleep because obviously his dad just died, and this is my dad I'm talking about. Mm. And he's just sitting there about three in the morning. Somebody knocks the door and he goes, "Fuck, are we knocking this time?" Goes and answers it. It was one of his old friends from years ago had heard and just came up and just had like a six pack and just started drinking with him. Like Billy Butcher. Oh yeah, yeah. Just like, like what happens yeah. in James but, play. Yeah. You know, I can't imagine that happening anywhere else apart from like maybe Ireland. In general, yeah, you know, it just seems quite strange. I, mean, I don't imagine anybody going, yeah, three three o'clock's an appropriate time to start banging on someone's door to drink. <laughs> well, I don't want to. I don't want to speak too much about wakes uh, in this episode because next episode, of course, yeah. we will actually <laughs> go through a wake. In, oh, yeah. uh, time. So I want to save. I want to save that discussion for next week. But uh, I want to thank everyone for joining us today. Uh, so we have uh, Christian, Christian Jackson. So thank you very much for coming down, Christian. Uh, thank you. Pleasure to be here. Usual Vince. Uh, Vince Kettle, uh, Flamosh on Beam, mm-hmm. of course, there you can find his streaming channel. And uh, Glenn Hamill, our, our actor, and uh, who'll be appearing in the Crescent Art Centre in a few months with his triple bill of plays. Uh, with they're, they're not all mine, but they might as well. <laughs> <laughs> you as well claim them as yours. Just uh, take ownership of them. And I've been uh, James McAnespe. Uh, we've been uh, delighted to have you on board, and we're glad to say now that the new episodes are live. So uh, if you go to facebook.com slash ecumenical matters, you'll find uh, you'll find our, our latest podcast, and you'll get the, the first announcements of when they go live. But thanks very much for listening, and bless you. Bitches! <laughs>